You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen. Y'all grab a seat if you would. Welcome. Good morning. Glad you're here at Redeemer with us. If you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to uh, John chapter 1. Just in case the lights go off, we've got it on the screen here in front of you as well. Uh, We're in a new series starting out this year that's called What If... And what we are doing with uh, what if is we're really presenting a handful of different scriptures that have to do with three different big ideas that are uh, monumental to us as a church. Uh, Community, gospel, and mission. Community, how we interact in relationships that we have with one another. Uh, We look at the gospel. What does it mean? How do we believe it? What does it do uh, when we do believe it? And then mission. As Christians, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be doing with our lives that we're just not uh, saved to uh, sit around and twiddle our thumbs, but actually to join a mission um, that Jesus is on? So this entire series, uh, we're looking at texts that have to do with community, gospel, or mission, and then just simply asking the question uh, and dreaming a little bit, uh, what if? Uh, What if we took these seriously? What would change in our communities? What would change with the gospel moving forward? Uh, What would change with us as Christians living our lives on mission? And today, uh, we're going to start out in John chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 13. We'll hit quite a few different verses. Some of them will be on the screen. Some of them uh, will not be. Uh, But this is going to be the diving board for this morning. John chapter 1, verse 9. This is the beginning of John's gospel. Uh, John was one of the 12 disciples, and uh, he was probably... Jesus' best friend uh, on the planet. Uh, He's called the disciple who Jesus loved. Uh, And the theme of John's life and writing after Jesus was raised from the dead is love. He's the apostle of love. He talks about love. He was moved by love. He was compelled by love. He encourages Christians to be people of love. John is just all about love love. And this is what he says. He starts his gospel different than uh, most of the other gospel writers. He doesn't start with the genealogy, tracing Jesus back to David uh, or tracing Jesus back to um, Adam and Eve. Uh, What he does is he traces Jesus's origin back to heaven uh, to prove that he is the Son of God. And this is what he says in verse 9. God's Word says this, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Talking about Jesus' birth, we just celebrated it at Christmas. Uh, John's giving us some commentary about what theologically was taking place when Jesus was born. The light was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own, that's the Jewish people, his own people that he had uh, chosen uh, many, many decades, centuries before. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He was rejected and crucified basically by the Jewish people. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the big idea that we're looking at this morning is what does it truly mean to be children of God and to call God Father? And so that's the question that I want to pose this morning. What if uh, we all saw God as a good Father? Um, If you look at the history of the planet, uh, basically every civilization that has ever existed to some extent was theistic. They believed in a God. 
maybe they didn't have a Bible, but uh, they spent enough time looking around at the complexities of the world and nature and the cosmos and the stars and the sun and everything, and uh, basically have all come to the conclusion that, wow, this is pretty incredible, hard to explain this without there being a, a, a being that's greater and better than us. Uh, so virtually every civilization has believed there is a higher power, there is a God, and then from that point, a lot of times they kind of begin to guess, or what we call to speculate on what God is like. Uh, some will assume that He's angry and uh, He needs to have some sacrifices to appease His um, anger. Um, some will look around and think, oh, maybe, he's, uh, maybe He works Himself out in spirits and His spirits are in all living creatures, so we need to honor God's spirit that are in the animals and the trees and whatnot. Uh, maybe the gods must be crazy. Uh, how many of you have seen that movie? None? Uh, theologically, I don't know if it's worth it. It's an interesting movie. There's uh, these aboriginal people and an uh, airplane flies over and like drops this bottle and they just think, oh, it must have been God and the gods must be crazy, but uh, it might be lost on this audience. So moving on, uh, th- like all civilizations have believed there's a God up there and just kind of guessing, wondering, speculating uh, what he's like. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and says something like this. This is what Jesus made. He, he made this claim in John chapter 6, verse 38. He says, I have have come down from heaven. And what Jesus claimed to do was to definitively, once and for all, speak on behalf of God, that he doesn't give us speculation. We're not left to wonder what God is like. Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm going to remove all wonder. Uh, I'm going to remove all question. I'm going to remove all doubt. I'm going to remove all speculation. And I'm just simply going to tell you because that's where I came from. I came from heaven. I have been with God since the beginning. And I'm going to now express to you revelation. Jesus made the claim that he is revealing to us some things about God. And two things he reveals. Uh, One is just like character. So Jesus tells us definitively what God is like, that he is holy, he's without sin, he's perfect, that he is patient. He he says that he is full of grace, he gives good gifts where it's not earned, that he's full of patience, that he's powerful. So Jesus came to reveal what God is like. But the second thing, and if you, if you look at this and you read through the Gospels, um, you see that one of the main things that Jesus was trying to do was not just to change what we believe about God, but change the way that we interact with God. And the main way that he did that was by this idea that God was a father which was a a foreign concept, the way Jesus explained it uh, to the Jews of the day. And so not only is he explaining a a perfect picture of God, he's trying to convince us to relate to God in a very different way. He's he's clearing up this reality. Um, He talks about uh, this idea of Father 150 times. Uh, He says, this is how you should pray, our Father. And all the way from the beginning of his ministry to the end when he's on the cross and he's praying to his Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, Jesus is trying to change the way that we we relate to God, mainly teaching us uh, to relate to God as a good Father. So if I lay that before you, then the question becomes, what would happen uh, in our lives, in our hearts, if we truly saw God as a good Father? I think uh, most of us, since we're from the West and we're from America and some of us are from the Bible Belt, uh, that we hear the idea of God as a father so much uh, that we can tend to take it for granted a little bit or at least take for granted how, how, how powerful 
and revolutionary that idea is. Uh, I don't know if you've been around the globe maybe to some different countries, uh, but it's easy for us as Americans to take freedom for granted, right? And you start talking to, to other people about certain freedoms and realize, wow, this isn't the case, and I, maybe I take this for granted a little bit. I had a kid at uh, Dallas Baptist University when I was on staff there uh, years ago. He was a Japanese uh, young man named Yuta. Some of you know Yuta Motegi. And I was discipling him, and he came to faith, and he, uh, he wanted to go deer hunting and be a true Texan. And uh, so I, uh, just trying to serve the Lord, taking one for the team, said, I will oblige, I will do my best. And I started explaining to him, like, what we're going to do, we're going to take this gun and go to my grandmother's ranch, and you're going to shoot a deer. And he's like, you've seen a gun? <laughs> I'm like, not since this morning. <laughs> I, 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 I live in a place where there's, there's guns and we practice safety and it's like, it had become like so normal to me that I forgot how foreign it was to somebody from Japan. They don't have guns in their closet in Japan, right? We can talk about God as Father so much and it's so normal to us, we forget how revolutionary that idea is. Let me read something um, that a man named Gerald Bray says. He says this, uh, and this is not on the screen, so tune your ears. Christians today uh, can take it for granted that God is our Father, but few people stop to think what this name really means. We know that Jesus taught his disciples to pray by saying our Father, and that the Aramaic word Abba which means Father, is one of the few that Jesus used that has remained untranslated. In your Bible, it says Abba. It doesn't translate that to an English word. It remained untranslated in our New Testament. Nowadays, hardly anybody finds this strange, and many people are surprised to discover that the Jews of Jesus' day and even his own disciples were puzzled by this teaching. This is because the deeper meaning and the wider implications of the term father are largely unknown today. They're so widespread and they're so generally accepted has the name become that we no longer question it and so we often fail to realize how important it is for our understanding of God. Uh, the Jews had a massive barrier to relating to God the way Jesus was trying to urge them. And I would make the case that we have an, a, a, just as big of a hurdle, although it's a little bit uh, different for us. Uh, and so that's why I want to present to you this idea of what would it look like in our lives if we truly r related with God as Father. So we take it for granted a little bit, I think. I know I do. Uh, number two, this idea was so revolutionary uh, to the Jewish people that they were angry at Jesus. This is what it says in John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. Like, th th this was such a new concept. They're like, uh, we got to kill this guy. We got to get rid of him because he has the audacity to say that you can relate to God as a father. And he's claiming he is the son of God. It was so revolutionary that they were trying to get Jesus out of the picture because he was presenting it. I don't think they had a problem with uh, respecting God, with revering God, with God being very all-powerful uh, up there. But when you start bringing that relationship down, and when Jesus says you can relate to God through, through the gospel as a father, broke their brain. They just they couldn't comprehend that idea. And so this is why, and I just want to throw this out as a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, I think some of this morning might be uh, fairly difficult for some of us. 
um, because we're going to uh, scratch a little bit under the surface uh, about some relationships with dads. Uh, and you know, if you've been around really any extent of time here at Redeemer, uh, we talk about this, how, how important dads are to the world, uh, how important a dad is to a family and to kids, and how I, I think it's the most powerful thing on the planet, whether that be for good or for bad, is a dad and and, and a dad is a gift that was given by God to us to help us understand what God is like as a father. And so it can be a very good thing and a huge blessing, but inevitably, every dad will fail in being just like God the Father. And so a lot of times, that, uh, that the problem that dads create is they create a dysfunctional view of God, and we take these problems that we have with our father and project them on God. And so this is why I think... Relating to God as Father is difficult for us because of some things uh, dads potentially have done. And I think sometimes that's very um, uh, harmful and difficult, maybe not harmful, but difficult to, 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 to bring that up and to process it. But it's, it's incredibly important if we're going to view God as a father. Uh, I had some time off this fall, many of y'all know that, and during that I had some counseling where they were, uh, it's an organization that counsels uh, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christian leaders and pastors, but uh, especially the council pastors through sabbatical time, and I was just hoping he was going to, you know, give me some good tidbits on how to survive another 20 years, uh, and the first two seasons, all he did was ask me about my dad. It's like, listen... <laughs> My dad's not here. Why are we talking about this? And it, because it's such a commonplace theme that this relationship between us and our dads can have massive implications on how we view and relate to God. Um, so some fathers, uh, maybe, maybe this is you, maybe your father was very distant. Maybe he was physically present but emotionally distant, unengaged, didn't seem to care. It's very easy to project that idea onto God and feel like that God is distant, and so that affects how we relate to him. Uh, maybe he was just absolutely absent just not there. Things got tough, and he up and bailed, and he moved on, and uh, you have projected that onto God, just kind of maybe uh, mentally, uh, have mental assent that he's there, but struggle to, to feel that he's actually physically, emotionally, spiritually present with you. Uh, maybe your dad was violent, and so you have this kind of view of God as a very angry and violent God, always um, just sitting, watching you, make, waiting for you to make a misstep so that he can knock you back into line. Uh, maybe your father had just incredibly high standards, and you feel like you never really measured up. No matter what you did, it was not ever quite good enough, and it's easy to take that idea and to project it onto God and just feel all the time that God's just a little bit frustrated with you, uh, that you just haven't quite nailed it enough, and you're always kind of under that just low-grade shame that um, you're not ever fully uh, accepted. Maybe your father disciplined you out of anger, and that has affected the way that you view God. Uh, maybe your father didn't love you enough to actually discipline you, just let you do uh, whatever it was that you wanted, and over time you take that and you project it onto God. Um, I know there's some really good dads in the world. But even the great, greatest dads, they, they, there's, there's some places that um, they're, they're, they're not perfect. And so uh, I want to navigate through this a little bit because I think in one form or fashion, probably our fathers have affected the way that we view God as a father. 
so the question is, if, if Jesus comes in not just to explain to us what God is like in his character, but to help us learn to relate to him as a father, then it becomes very important for us to learn how to do that. And here, here's the case I would make. We must learn how to do that because Jesus did. Okay, because Jesus learned how to relate to God as Father, and he left us that example from the beginning of his ministry to the end. He models and he teaches for us that God is a good, good Father. And if we don't, it creates some dysfunctions in our soul, in our parenting, in the way that we interchange with the gospel and affects really everything about us. So, Uh, I want to read to you, let's go back to John chapter 1, verse 9, we just read it, and I want you to see with that in mind what Jesus is doing. Jesus, and and really it's kind of talking about his, John's talking about the entire work of Jesus on the cross, that what Jesus was doing on the cross was in effect purchasing our right to become children of God and to actually relate to God as Father. This is what it says, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, and here it is, to all who did receive him, and this is an important qualifier. Like, we live in the world where everybody, doesn't matter what religion they are, whether they love Jesus, hate Jesus, it's like, oh, everybody's a child of God. And the Bible would say, No, not the case. Not everybody is a child of God. Everybody is a creation of God. Everybody is made in the image of God, but not everyone gets the right or the privilege to relate to God as Father. So who, in fact, has that right or privilege? And John says, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name. That's those people who have believed and embraced the gospel, put their faith in Jesus, right? So those who have put their faith in Jesus, it says he gives them this incredible right. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, what John will say two chapters later, talking about being born again. So when we're born again through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. He gives us the right and the privilege to interact with God as a father. So here's the question that I lay before you. What if we truly see God as a good father? And some of you may say, I do, and you you might. But I think all of us, wherever we're at on the spectrum, probably have some some places that we can uh, can really change the way that we view God back to a a good father. And so I want to pose this question in five different ways, Um, just thinking about what if. Like, what if we interacted and related with God as Father? What potentially could happen in our lives? Number one, uh, if we truly see God as a Father and relate to Him as such, number one, you would know that you were loved. You, you would know that you're loved, and, and really would never doubt it. And when you doubt it, you come back to the reality that He's given you the right to call Him Daddy. And so I think a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to, to be loved and feel loved, and so when you relate to God as Father, you're just convinced that you're loved, and you don't have to work for it anymore. Um, it seems like that idea affected the Apostle John. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it's, I believe, here on the screen for you. Uh, John, John never got over the, the, the fact that Jesus gave him the right to call the God of the universe Father. And he says this, he says, you see what kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. 
John, the apostle of love, he never got over this. I don't think he ever had moments where he doubted that God loved him because he knows that Jesus gave him the right to call him father. Listen, if you gave somebody in your life, a neighbor, a niece, nephew, uh, somebody that you are fostering or adopting, if you give them the right to call you father or even to call you mother, um, that would communicate some very strong love uh, to that person, would it not? And so John's like, listen, uh, how, how deep a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the sons and the daughters of God, but that's who we are. So the first thing that happened is you would just be convinced that you're loved by God forever without a doubt. Uh, back in my time in Dallas, I uh, spent some time doing some prison ministry uh, with Bill Glass Prison uh, Ministry. would go into different prison units and share the gospel, and sometimes over time you would see the same people, and there would be uh, people in prison that had become uh, Christians and would start their own Bible studies and have churches inside of the, uh, the jails and the prisons. Uh, and one thing that was super interesting to me, well, well two things. Uh, one thing is you see that the least common denominator uh, for men who are in prison is that they had almost no connection with a father, something like 95%. If you're just walking to a prison and say, okay, what's the least common denominator? Really quickly, you would find out that it creates some dysfunction when there's a problem between a son and a, and a, and a dad. But then as some of these men became Christians and came to the faith, what I noticed, you know, some of these are the, the roughest, toughest dudes I've ever met. And at, at a point in time when they realize that God has loved them, and maybe they didn't have a dad, but God has given them the right to become the children of God and call God Father. I've seen just the roughest, toughest men on the planet break down and cry. Why is that? Because it doesn't matter how big and strong you are. Everyone needs love from a father. It's, it's, it's a super deep down just part of who we are, that we were designed to be loved by a father, and so you can't get to the point where you just simply don't need that. Okay, so number one, what would you, you would know that you are loved. Number two, you would believe that you are accepted. If we truly learn to relate to God as father, we would believe uh, that we are truly accepted. I think a lot of people, a lot of us walk through life just probably very insecure, um, trying to um, be the best and, and do the best and make the most to try to prove to somebody, prove to the world, maybe even prove to God that we've, that we've got what it takes because we want to be accepted. I've just realized over time a lot of people, sometimes the most successful, toughest people are also the most insecure because they're working towards uh, being accepted. And I'm all for work. I'm all for hard work. I'm all for good works. Um, but the Bible says uh, if we don't see God as Father, we're going to spend our life trying to uh, be acceptable to Him. And the gospel is the opposite. The gospel says, listen, you start out as a Christian by being accepted. Like you're accepted, and so all of our good works and everything comes from a place that I'm already accepted, not trying to work towards a place that I might be accepted. When we truly relate to God as a father, it just takes us off the treadmill and the hamster wheel of trying to be accepted because you live your life as a Christian accepted. Right? The same way that my kids, they don't wake up in the morning thinking, what in the world do we have to do to be accepted into the family? They wake up, they know they're accepted, and hopefully they're, they're learning to, to live from that place. 
This is what Romans chapter 8 says when it's talking about the, the idea of versus working for acceptance versus working from acceptance or really being fearful all the time rather than being a son or a daughter. It says this, Romans 8, 15 through 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He's saying when you became a Christian, you weren't all of a sudden a slave and now you're trying to perform so that you can be accepted. He's like, it's not about fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. There it is, transliterated. It's the same word that Jesus used in Aramaic, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you truly relate to God as Father, there's nothing left to earn and there's nothing left to prove. Some of you, that would be a revolutionary thing that would take place in your soul. Like in Christ, you don't have to earn anything. You can't increase the amount of acceptance that you already have from God the Father because that's what good dads do. They accept their kids and then they teach them to live like they're part of the family. Number three, if we truly saw God and related to him as a good father, would it change the way that we pray? Would it change the way that we pray? I want to position this in three different ways. Um, would it change if you pray? Okay? Some of us, if we're honest, like, ah, I don't pray. <laughs> I just don't. I try to. Every now and then I realize I don't. I try again. I just don't. And I think if you kind of uh, work down why we don't pray, a lot of it comes back to we don't view God as a father. Like, well, he's, he just doesn't care. My dad didn't care. I'd come to him with these things. And he's like, quit bothering me. Leave me alone. And so we project that on God. So, like, yeah, what's the point? But if you see God as a true father, would it change if you pray? Because you know you're not scared to, to talk to him, to ask him things, to ask him questions because a good dad cares and wants to hear. So maybe it would change if you pray. Uh, maybe it would change how we pray. This, this revolutionized prayer turned it upside down when Jews for a long time had been praying a certain way. And Jesus is like, how about uh, we pray this way? Our father who is in heaven, and then he gives us this model prayer. If you saw God as a good father, would it change how you pray? Would it change what you say, what you ask for, how honest you are with God? Would it change how you pray? And then three, not just if you pray, not just how you pray, but would it change what you pray? If you saw God as a father, would it change what you pray? That there's really nothing too big for a kid to ask their dad, and there's nothing too small. Like in the same hour the other day, one of my kids asked to go to Alaska for a month, and one of them asked for a cup of water, right? It's like, listen, I love you, nothing too big, nothing too small, but I don't have the resources of God, so I don't know if we can go to Alaska for a month, I'm working on it, you know, I just, again, I want to serve Jesus, I want to serve my kids, so I'm trying to figure out how we can make that happen, right? If you're a kid and, and you have a good dad, then you know there's nothing too big and there's nothing too small. But if you have a dad where there were things that were too big or things that were too small, you're going to easily project that onto God, and it's going to change the way that you pray. Uh, my kids can't ask for anything too big or too small, uh, and so if you think about God as a much better father than I am, what would that change in the way that you pray? And if you pray, and, and how you pray, and what you pray, that you just believed God loved you, he accepted you, he wants the best for you, he's really powerful, he cares about all the big things and all the little things, so what would it change about your prayer life if we viewed God as a good father? 
Number four, what would it change? Uh, would, it, would it change what you do or how you respond when you sin, okay? Uh, is the question if you're going to sin as a Christian or when you're going to sin in a Christian, as a Christian? Everybody said when. Like Christians are not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But your view of God as a father is going to determine how you respond when you sin, if we don't view God as Father, this is what happens. I sin, I run away. I try to hide. I don't want people to know it. I, don't want, I can kind of pretend I'm hiding it from God. And I think, you know, for whatever, whatever stem, that stems from, when you mess up, you're going to run from God. And what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? They ran and they hid themselves and they made excuses and it, it, it wreaked havoc on their lives because the sin was still there. So if Jesus wanted to change the way that we relate to God when we sin, this is what he did. He came up with, I think, probably the most popular parable. That, that, there's two or three that are the most popular. I think this is definitely one of them. It's called the prodigal son. And the whole thing is built around the idea that there's a good dad and there's a sinful son. And he does all this to try to convince us that when we sin, it doesn't matter how many steps you take away from God, you're just one step back to the father because he's a good dad. And so the, the way that Jesus tries to change the way that we relate to God when we sin is by presenting us the story of this really awesome dad that had a, a sinful, wicked son. We, we love this parable, and what this parable teaches you is that the son learned to run to God when he sins because he's a good father, because he's not surprised by our sin. He doesn't reject us. When we started having kids, I started reading all these books about parenting because I had no idea what I'm doing. Uh, still not an expert, but I know more than I did uh, 12 years ago. And I, I probably learned something similar to what you've learned is uh, sometimes people will say, if your kid ever comes to you with like uh, confessing some type of sin or some type of problem or something they've done, just don't act surprised. Have you all heard this? It's like, because if you act surprised, they're going to quit coming to you. And, and you want them to come to you. If they do something wrong, you don't want them to run and hide. You want them to come to you. So your kid comes to you like, hey, uh, remember the neighbor's house? You're like, yeah. They're like, yeah, I lit it on fire. You know, you're, you're supposed to be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, t t t tell me more about that. Let's talk about it. You don't say, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Because then the next time they light the neighbor's house on fire, what happens? You don't know until you hear the sirens, right? Like, whatever that is, they come and tell, oh, I did this. Like, if you act surprised and shocked and, like, they're just not going to come to you. And so, the, the, like, one of the things that you learn when you look through the story of the prodigal son is I think when you come to the father, he's not going to be like, you did what? Like, I just, I promise you, whatever you've done, you're a Christian, you've sinned, okay? <laughs> you're not going to surprise God. He's gonna, not going to be like, I've never seen that one before. That's a new one. I don't even know how I'm going to deal with that. You're just not going to get that. Our view of God determines what we do when we sin. If we have a dysfunctional view of God when we sin, we're going to run, we're going to hide, we're going to make excuses, and that sin is going to destroy some things in your life. If you see God as Father, when you sin, you will go to your Father because you know you're already accepted. That's not on the line. 
You know you're loved. You know you're going to get wisdom. You know you're going to get forgiveness. You know you're going to get what this son, this good father gave to the prodigal son. He put his robe back on him, put his ring back on him, put his sandal. He basically reinstated him and said, yeah, I know, son, you're my son. I love you. I forgive you. Let's work through this. And some of you need to hear that. You need to know that, that God is not just waiting to knock you back in line to say, I knew it. I knew you were going to do it again because he's a good dad. He's a good father, and that changes what you do when you sin. Number five, would it convince you that God wants to bless you and to give you good gifts? Would it it convince you that God wants to bless you and he wants to give you good gifts? I'll be just completely candid. This one is the most difficult for me uh, because I grew up in this kind of movement where uh, the prosperity gospel was taken off and it was just twisting and maligning uh, God's promises so much that there were these promises that uh, if you are faithful and if you pray hard enough, you'll never have any problems, you'll be healthy and you'll be wealthy. And I, I think that's obviously a distortion of what Jesus said. But what happened is we kind of overcorrected a little bit, and now you, it's like you get scared to say that God's going to bless you. Like if I were to say the question, hey, do you want God to bless you, you'd be a little confused, right? You're like, I don't know. He's taught us for six years. <laughs> the prosperity gospel is not true. And so this one is the most difficult for me to believe. When I'm relating to God as a father, I need to be convinced that God wants to bless me, he wants to bless you, and he wants to give you good gifts. I love Blessing my kids, I do. And, and I will look for ways to bless our kids. We love giving our kids good things and good gifts. We just gave them a whole lot of good gifts at Christmas because we love them and we love to bless them. Two scriptures that will convince you of this. Jesus himself says this in Matthew seven eleven. It's on the screen. If you then who are evil... Okay, he's talking to people, and he's going to talk really about dads. And he's, I don't think he's saying that they're all the, the most horrible dads. I think he's saying if you're going to compare yourself to God, then you're not a great dad, <laughs> right? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then Jesus' little brother, James, says this in James 1.17, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers, every good gift. Listen, every good gift that's in your life, whether it's health or material or relationship, Jesus' little brother says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. He doesn't just say God. He says the Father, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Could you still be a faithful Christian and have physical problems and be poor? Yes, all those things are true. But this is absolutely true, that God is a good dad, and he loves to bless his kids, and he loves to give good gifts. And if you're convinced and you relate to him that way, then you get to receive and and enjoy and be grateful for, thankful for, and worship because of the good things that God gives. Okay, so what if? What what would happen in our lives, in our hearts, if 
we learn more and more as we grow to relate to God as Father. Uh, I've got four different ways that I want to really kind of tie this up, or really four different categories of people. Uh, often, I don't do this. We don't uh, say, okay, re- respond, and maybe put yourself in one of these categories, and this is kind of how you should respond, but that's what we're going to do just a little bit this morning. Uh, so four different potential responses uh, for this truth, that Jesus is not just teaching us who God is and what he's like, but trying to help us relate to him as a father. Number one, uh, maybe you need to forgive your father. Maybe you need to forgive your father. I know that the lack of forgiveness, especially between a child and a father, um, can cause some deep wounds. And what I am not saying is that what he did or didn't do is not important, is not uh, difficult, I think all those things are true, but because of the gospel, we can still forgive. And I think there's a way in which you have to come to realize that maybe they did the best they could with what they had, maybe they didn't, but I forgive them, I release them, and now I can get what I needed from them from my heavenly Father. So maybe that's something that you need to do. Maybe, maybe it's something you need to do with a phone call. Maybe it's just something you need to do in your own heart. But do you need to forgive your Father? Number two, And this is for the dads in the room. Okay, don't do this often, but I think it's important. And um, maybe you're expecting me to say, okay, since we kind of step in the gap and our kids are going to learn a little bit about what God is like as a father, uh, don't screw it up, right? (laughs) Do better, try harder, okay? That's not not what I'm saying. Although I think there's some merit to that. I think, like, it's important for us to feel the weight of our kids are going to learn a lot about God as a father through how we act, if you've got an anger problem, you need to, to deal with it. You know, if you're absent and, 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 and you're working more than you're investing in your kids or you're more invested in college football than you are your children's discipleship, like, I think there's some legitimate questions to ask because that's a weighty thing, but I don't think it's helpful just to say, hey, uh, you're supposed to be just like God so your kid can learn to interact with God and Father, so try harder and don't mess it up, right? Can we agree that's a lot of pressure? <laughs> but here's what I think is important for the dads in the room. Um, to, to consistently, and especially when you mess up, especially when you fail to be the perfect model of God as a father to your kids, to acknowledge that to your kids and to tell them, listen, I, have, I, I messed up, I was angry, I, was, I disciplined you out of anger, I was short-tempered, I was impatient, I wasn't here, forgive me. God is not like that. I, I, listen, I, I do this more th- with my kids than I would like to admit in fact, I had a phone call with one of my sons this morning because I realized, like, I was about to preach this sermon. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I need to, to tell my son, listen, I'm doing my best. I'm going to try to be, be a father that points you to Jesus. But you need to know when I mess up that daddy needs a heavenly father too. And so, dads, I, I just think that's important for you to remind and teach your kids when you mess up that we make mistakes, that we need Jesus, but God is not like that. God is better than dad. You'd be surprised at how far that goes. Number three, if you're a Christian, okay, if you're a Christian, 
then, then the challenge is to find some places in your life where we might need to grow relating to God as a good dad. That's the question for you. What if? What would happen if that's you? And then number four is just simply if you're not a Christian. If you walk into this place and you uh, would, uh, would admit, like, I'm not a Christian. Maybe you're interested in being a Christian. Maybe you're not. But this is really the, the, the basis or the epicenter of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus preached and I'll go back and I'll read it for you again in 1 John because there's an invitation for you if you're not a believer to do something, to respond to something, and then there's a promise of what God will do if you do that. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, which that just simply means that somebody was not a Christian. It's like, no, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He did come from heaven. He did live a perfect life. He did die a sinner's death. He did uh, go into the grave as a dead corpse for three days, and then God raised him from the dead. And since then, he's been changing the world one Christian at a time for 2,000 years. I believe that. I embrace that. I want Jesus to save me and to change me and to, and to make me his own. The Bible would say that that's what happens when you're born again. You're, you put your faith in Jesus. You believe in his name and then you're born again. And it says, to those people, to everyone who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of the will of man nor the will of flesh nor of the uh, will of, uh, nor blood but of, uh, of God. So if you're not a Christian, this is what I want you to hear. If you embrace the gospel and believe on the name of Jesus, Jesus gives you the right to interact with God as a father. Jesus didn't come just to explain some things uh, about God so we would have a right view of who he is. He came to change the way that we relate to God as a good father. Let's pray. Jesus, we desperately need your help to believe this and to understand how revolutionary this idea is. God, that without the cross, without your work, that we, we truly just don't have the right to be calling the God of the universe daddy. But you purchased that right for us. Jesus, you lived a life that we couldn't measure up to and you died in our place and you've given us uh, just the chance to respond not with good works but with faith in you. God, and you gave us the right to call God Father. God, I pray that you teach each one of us whether we've been walking for, with Jesus for a week or for 50 years that you would help us to grow in our understanding that you're a good father. You love us. You give good gifts. You accept us. You listen to us. You care about the big things and the small things. And you're like a good dad waiting for us to repent when we sin and to turn home and to find acceptance in you. Wherever people are at listening to this message, I pray that your spirit would help them believe that you're a good father and live their lives as such. We love you. We praise you. We need you. We thank you for giving us that right. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.